I came to church today just for many different reasons, emotionally exhausted, and uh, boy, it has been so good to be with you <laughs> and sing together, and brothers and sisters, that was just so, so encouraging to sing to us and encourage us. Thank you. Good to be with God's people. Let's turn to Luke chapter 2. This is on page 857 if you'd like to use the Bible that's there in front of you, the blue book. Um, You can find it easily that way. This is uh, the most well-known passage concerning the birth of Christ. This is why many people... uh, before they would urge you, if you're going to read one gospel first, not to read John, but to read Luke. Because Luke is the one that gives you the full account of the birth of John and the birth of of Jesus. Uh, Many parables that are found in Luke that are not in other uh, gospels. It's probably the most holistic of the gospels to give you a good picture of, of Christ. So, when you're recommending to someone, it's, you can do uh, no better than to read Luke and then his second book, Acts. And that way you get the fullest picture of the life of Christ and then uh, the, the early church as a framework for the rest of your reading in Scripture. That's free. I'll just give that out. Uh, you know, don't. <laughs> okay. The birth of Jesus Christ. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor in Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, fear not. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Thus the reading of God's word. Let us pray. Lord, we pray that you would so bless us to 
understand more deeply and acutely the uh, beauty and glory of God as revealed in the person of Jesus Christ. Oh, Lord, come to us by your spirit, we pray. Amen. Our focus in these uh, recent studies has been the songs, or the, the overall title, Songs for the Savior. We heard Mary's uh, Magnificat, then Zechariah's uh, Benedictus in the first chapter. And so our focus here is not on the whole of this chapter or the whole of this reading so much as the particular announcement of the angel and the song of the heavenly host. First, we're struck with this. This is a peasant proclamation, a peasant proclamation. You can ask, why the shepherds, right? Why did God send the angel to them, and why did the Holy Spirit record this for us? What about Caesar Augustus, who sent out the decree? Why not appear to him? Why not Quirinius, who was the governor of Syria? But the angels didn't visit the governor's mansion that night. They didn't make the excursion to Rome. They went to people who were near the bottom of the rung in society's ladder. They went to shepherds. As Joel Green said, the glory normally associated with the temple is now manifest on a farm. A farm saw the glory of God. The glory cloud that was on Mount Sinai here is enveloping the shepherds. And so the shepherds are highly esteemed in this case. And the ruler's power is regarded as relatively unimportant. This rehearses what Mary had sung in her Magnificat. He has brought down rulers from their thrones and has exalted those who were humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent away the rich empty-handed. Oh yeah, he sure has. He sure did. And you see the significance of this? This is the announcement to the world. This is the big press release. This is where all the cameras are flashing and all the tapes are running. This is the world broadcast of the birth of the Son of God. And it's made to a few peasants keeping their sheep at night. You've got to feel the weight of this. Astounding. It tells you right off the bat, this could be a different kind of king, Right? Maybe he's not, un, he's not like earthly kings. Maybe he's really strong for once. Maybe he's so great and he's so full of resources, he hasn't come to get anything from anybody, but to give to us what we don't have ourselves. Maybe he's so together that he's not here to use the rich and the powerful and the famous or anybody else for that matter. He doesn't need to stand on anybody's shoulders. He's here to pour goodness into our laps out of his own unlimited capacity to bless. He doesn't need the world's attention. He comes to bring to the world his blessings. And he comes to the lowly. He comes to the helpless and broken. And by doing this, he tells us right off the bat that we don't have to bring anything to impress him or be accepted by him. He's not taking resumes. We don't list our accomplishments to get our foot in the door. He comes to us in our weakness and failure and foolishness, in our littleness, in our 
rejection and loneliness in our ugly treatment of others and our self-promotion and self-protection. And he comes to us. He comes to us to give us strength and his kindness and his renewal and his forgiveness, his love and his hope where it is not in any way deserved. He comes to us, peasants. So remember that the angels came to shepherds. They said to the shepherds, this is for you. And by including them, the lowly, God has included us lowly ones as well. Because spiritually and morally, we are all peasants. But thankfully, it's a peasant proclamation. It's for the peasants. (laughs) It's for us broken, lost, blind, helpless people. It's a peasant proclamation. Do you hear it? This good news of great joy is for you. It's a sign for you that there's a Savior for you. There is peace for you. So rejoice in Him. Receive Him in this proclamation. So, peasant proclamation, it is light in darkness. This sign is particular. It's for a particular reason that at night light comes in this way. We've spoken of how the glory uh, cloud was on Mount Sinai. The glory cloud led Israel. The glory cloud filled the temple. It filled the tabernacle. This sign of the presence of God. And so he is now appearing in his glory to these shepherds. And so... What it's announcing to them is a glimpse. It gives them a glimpse of the glory of this child in the very announcement itself. It reminds you of the glory cloud that later comes upon uh, the three disciples and Jesus on the mountain. This one is sent from God and he bears the very glory of God. It declares this is God with us, Emmanuel. The glory of God has come. And the contrast between the darkness of the night and this brilliant light of God's glory is a visible sign that the child, this child fulfills Old Testament prophecy. As Isaiah 9, and we're familiar with that where that place where he's called Wonderful Counselor, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And of his coming, Isaiah says, the people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. Here's the sign of that. This outward, visible sign of the reality that this light has come. Or as he later writes, Isaiah, in chapter 60, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness will cover the earth, and deep darkness the peoples. But the Lord will rise upon you, and his glory will appear upon you. What a great sign that night of this one whose light would rise upon the darkness of so many. And shouldn't you enjoy this sign in your darkness? He rises on your darkness, whatever it is. He rises on the darkness of your sin with the light of forgiveness 
and the joyful embrace of God as he forgives you in Christ Jesus. This child, Peter says, will bear our sins in his body on the cross. He bore our sins, speaking in the past sense. He says he died, the righteous one, in place of the unrighteous one. Singular, that is you and me, the unrighteous one. That He died in our place so that he might bring us to God. So that we might be restored to God in fellowship with God. Embraced by God. And so Paul can say, if we are united to Jesus Christ, there's no condemnation now. You can enjoy complete forgiveness for all your sins. That's the light in darkness. You can enjoy a clean conscience. That's light in darkness. You can be accepted into God's favor immediately and forever through this Savior. So that His acceptance before God becomes your acceptance. He rises on the darkness of your sinful habits and tendencies. On all the darkness of character that you know clouds your heart. The shining forth of His glory points to His power, His unlimited power to deal with your personal darkness. He's in the renovation business and no human project is beyond his reach. Even those buildings that others would condemn as a total loss, he transforms into head-turning masterpieces of goodness and love. Light shines into, as it says in Isaiah, deep darkness. No matter how deep the darkness, how glorious the light The darkness, John says, will not overcome the light. It will not. Won't you place yourself then in this dark field and see that glory shining on you, that glory for you to shine in your darkness, that you can be forgiven, that you can be transformed? Will you refuse this glorious sign of light being brought into darkness Will you not entrust yourself to be embraced by him? John speaks of a terrible thing in John chapter 3 where he says, This is judgment that the light has come into the world and men loved darkness rather than light. That's what will keep you out of the light is that you decide, I'm going to stay in the darkness. I'm going to stay with my idols. I'm going to stay with the little treasures that I have built up. I can't entrust myself to this God. I'm going to make it on my own. I trust that you will not love the darkness. But you will embrace the light of Jesus Christ. And they say, this is a a present proclamation. It's light into darkness. And they announce, uh, the angel announces, announces good news of great joy. Good news is the same word we translate gospel again and again. And good news is uh, the good news of good or the news of good. Okay, The news of good that is brought to you. It's the news that God is made good available to us. 
good that will transform our very existence. It comes from a good God who intends good. God is the God, Micah tells us, who delights in mercy. It's his passionate hobby, you might say, to show mercy and to do people good. He loves to do people good. We only, we only lose that good if we refuse it, if we reject it. And so here in this Lord Jesus is an oasis, a fountainhead, a river of good. This child is the one who brings it to us. In him are all the treasures of forgiveness and relief and healing and satisfaction and delight. When he grew up, he said, I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. He came to bring all good to us. It's, it's captured in this idea, peace on, among those with whom he is pleased. Because peace is totality of well-being in every aspect of our lives. He will not stop until that's finally brought to the earth. And it's finally brought into to your life and my life. In the final resurrection. It will mean in that final State restored and perfected bodies, pure and sinless hearts, and unmixed, unending joy in a new world. It's good news. <laughs> it's peace. It's wholeness. Do you believe in that God? That this is light. This is good that He brings to you in the person of His Son. And as the angel says it. Calls not for a little joy, not a faint smile, not just one good laugh, right? It calls for celebration, for bedlam, for commotion, an uproar of gladness, an upheaval of happiness, a feast, a banquet, a party, a dance. Yes, Presbyterians, a dance. You know, great joy, great joy. Jesus. We learn in Scripture is the groom. We are the bride. Picture, uh, heaven is pictured, as you know, as a marriage feast. So this age is engagement, right? It's thrilling. It's mysterious. It's expectant. Sometimes frustrating. Sometimes we're aching for the marriage to begin, wondering what it will be like. Sometimes we're trembling with the sheer excitement over the possibilities of this marriage that will go on forever. In that perfect honeymoon. A honeymoon that will never close shop. It's that honeymoon, as mine was, that you wish could go on forever and ever. And it does. You wish it would never end. And it doesn't. Good news. Good news of great joy. And it's to all people. It's to Anyone who will have it. Anyone who will embrace it. It's not coming to you prejudging, saying this is the categories of people to whom this... It's offered freely to all people. To anyone who will embrace it, even in the midst of the devastations of life. He promises you the beginnings of this joy and the beginnings of this peace in your life. Finally, in that last day to consume you and the whole earth. That is God's purpose in this child. 
And the good news is because he is a savior, right? He is a savior. This is a Coast Guard rescue, a shipwrecked people, right? This is a rescue, Red Cross rescue of trapped flood victims. And you know, rescue teams sometimes lose some of their members in the very rescue itself. And here, there is no doubt this rescuer will lose his life. No doubt. It is necessary and vital for this rescue. It is the means of the rescue. He must lose his life. He comes to die. But the rescue is so glorious. He rescues them from the guilt of their sin. He rescues us from the terrible consequences of this of our sin in this life and the next. He is indeed the great rescuer to to his own loss in the rescue. That is how much he wants to bring good into your life. Yeah, I will lose everything. I will lose everything. I will lose the presence of my father. I will lose your smile. I will bear your unlimited wrath if I can have them. You have the Savior. This Savior is for you. For you. And he's, he calls him Christ. It is that Hebrew word Meshiach or Messiah. Anointing with oil in the Old Testament symbolized the Spirit's strength and grace given to that person. To fulfill his role. John tells us that Jesus has the spirit without measure. He doesn't have the spirit in snatches or piecemeal. He has the spirit in all of his potency. In all of his richness. And that's why this Christ, this Savior can do anything. There's no stopping him in his rescue mission. Many of our rescue missions fall short. There aren't enough of us. We don't have enough resources. We're too late. This is never the case with Jesus. As the angel says to Joseph, you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. He will do it. He does do it. I love how Paul says, we were called, we were justified, we were glorified. Yeah, it's good as done. I love that scene, and I think I've mentioned this before in Jeremiah Johnson, which I've recorded recently, and I'm slowly working through it. Um, But at one point, they're asking, there's a hawk flying, and it says, how long do you think it'll take that hawk to get to so-and-so creek? He says, it'll be about, ah, he's already there. You know, that sense of that hawk's already there. We're already there. We're already glorified. It's going to happen. He is a savior and nothing will stop him from saving his people. So he can say, we've been glorified. It's been done for us. And so that's why the angel can call him Lord, right? In the Greek version of the Old Testament, that word was the translation for Yahweh or the older versions Jehovah. And upon his death and resurrection, we're told that he was exalted far above any and every power of any kind 
in heaven and earth. And he can rescue you and no power can stand in his way. And I urge you, entrust yourself into the hands of the one who's the true Lord of all things. We talked about his graciousness. What about his unlimited power? He is Lord. You're safe nowhere else but in the hands of the true Lord, the one who governs all things. He's the only one who can rescue you no matter what your issues or your failure or the evil that grips your heart. We know because he's rescuing us from these same things. And bear in mind that this whole passage is more or less thrown into the face of Caesar Augustus. Okay? The name Augustus that Luke uses here suggests his divine qualities. Like one inscription reads, The divine Augustus Caesar, Caesar, Savior, uh, I'm sorry, Son of God, Savior of the whole world. That's an inscription we have about Caesar. He was praised as the one who had brought peace to the whole world. The choir here contrasts with the earthly choirs that were used in worship of the emperor. And the celebration of his birthday was announced as the good news, the gospel. This is the gospel, the birthday of Caesar Augustus. And so Luke is saying, it is not Caesar that is the son of God. It is this baby lying in a trough. Can you imagine people... What? What? A peasant couple's child lying in a cow trough? This is the king of the world. And not Augustus, who has at his hand hundreds of thousands of troops. No, it's not Augustus who is divine. It is this child. It is not Augustus who will bring peace on earth. It is this child. Epictetus, Stoic philosopher, was a contemporary of Luke. He wrote this. While the emperor may give peace from war on land and sea, he is unable to give peace from passion, grief, and envy. He cannot give peace of heart, for which man yearns more than even for outward peace. And of course, eventually, the emperor couldn't deliver them even from earthly war as Rome toppled. And of course, he cannot give peace with God, which is the most critical of all and the foundation of all peace. That is why these angels are declaring glory to God in the highest, in the highest, because here is a king worthy of the name. Here is a king that is not coming and exalting himself and and singing his own praises, so to speak, but In lowliness, he takes this position as a sign of what he will do. That he will take the lowly position as a servant and he will die for his people. This is a king who comes to stand in the place of his guilty people and bear their punishment. He gains this peace with God through being judged by God. 
by the agony of crying out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me so that we could never be forsaken by God ever? That's why they say, glory to God in the highest, in the highest. How could it be, oh God, that you yourself would come into our condition and bear our condition and bear everything we suffer and even stand in our place for something you did not deserve to give us a kingdom that we did not deserve? And then, of course, this when this love begins to enter your heart, you begin to understand forgiveness and you begin to understand his patience with you and his mercy upon you then it begins to change your heart so that with other people you begin to show mercy and kindness to your own wife to your own husband to your own children you begin to show forth this glory and beauty of God's love in your life to others and so little areas little oases of peace begin to break out in God's people and their families and in their fellowship and their churches. And, and this light of peace and not perfection, of course, but the working out of differences, the being patient with each other and kind and forbearing with each other and forgiving each other. This new world of peace begins to exist and it begins to encroach upon the darkness because Jesus says you're the light shining in the darkness. To begin to know this peace with God. and To begin to know something of it with each other. And to begin pulling more and more broken, lost people that are in this alienated world into the light of our peace. And <laughs> it's joked about in one movie with Sandra Bullock about beauty queens saying... I hope for world peace, you know, that movie. But he comes for world peace, right? He comes to bring world peace. It will be ultimately fulfilled when Christ comes to establish the new heavens and the new earth. When sin and every one of its effects is forever removed for this world. And this favor... This, it says, with whom he has favor or with whom he's pleased. It, it's not earned. It's, it's not he's going around, you know, looking to see my, my uh, as we say in the South, bless his heart. Um, but my um, choir director in high school, I was in the choir for several years, and he said once, maybe a hundred times, God helps those that helps themselves. God helps those that helps themselves. As though God is going around the world and says, you know, I'm going to help those that are helping themselves. I'm going to show favor. Oh, look, this guy's helping himself. I'm going to show him favor. Oh, look, she's meeting me halfway. I'm, I'm going to show favor. Nobody meets him halfway. Nobody cares. Nobody. No one understands. No one sees God. He comes in the darkness where we are. He finds us. And he reveals his glory to us. And he shows us his favor when we didn't deserve his favor. And so the good news is he comes all the way to you, right? He doesn't help those who help themselves. He helps the helpless. 
And he's not looking for those that are helping themselves. He simply puts his love on people who don't care. And so he comes to us in our weakness and our failure and our hatred and our meanness and our anger and our envy and our fear and anxiety, our self-focus, our denial of God, our refusal of God. And he comes to us in those conditions and takes us to himself to be a part of his people who will know his light and peace. Why? Glory to God in the highest, right? And on earth, and his favor is yours if you'll receive it. His favor is yours if you will receive him. Wouldn't it be a sad thing for the angels who themselves had never tasted this salvation to sing of the highest praises of God and for a human being not to do that? Who could have been saved by that? Like you would walk away and love the darkness and say, I ain't singing his praises for the rest of my life. I don't care if the angels are singing it. Oh, don't refuse him. Let us pray. Oh, Lord, we praise your great name. Almighty Savior, who came in humility, who died in humility, thus exhibiting that you were the true king. You are the king of all the earth. You are genuinely God because you've manifested your godness in your incredible love that you would humble yourself to that extent. That, we find out, is what God is like. He's glorious to be praised to the highest. And thank you, Lord, that you bring peace. We long for it in its completeness. We thank you for what we know of it so far and the peace we've experienced with you and the peace we've experienced in our relationships. And we look forward to that day, Lord, when your peace will overtake this poor, worn out creation that itself, Paul says, is groaning and agonizing for that day when the sons of God will be revealed. Oh, bless us to that end, Lord. Amen.